Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and it may look like I'm not there, but I am always watching you. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner. Please refrain from reacting to baseless rumors. <laughs> That's just always a good piece of advice. Yeah. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of social contagion and replication transmission relativity theory. Today, we'll be talking about Train to Busan. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. I just like saying that title, Dan. It's a pretty good sounding title, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, Demolition Man and The City We Became, and we still haven't done a poll on the Discord yet about which Heinlein novel we're doing, but it looks like Moon is a Harsh Mistress is going to be definitely something people want to hear us talk about. So. Excellent. I don't know if that'll get the votes, but I see that's something that people are discussing. If you haven't yet, please consider becoming a patron of our fine show. Our Patreon page is patreon.com slash space the nation. If you can't or won't become a patron, you can always just tell your friends and neighbors and rate in the review of the show. Although if you're not going to become a patron, maybe, I don't know, maybe they shouldn't rate and review, Dan. Like, but then why are you listening? If you're listening, I suspect you're going to like us, let's face it, and so you should still rate and review the show. And if you've been listening for a long time and not becoming a patron, I mean, what the hell? Seriously. Like, you <laughs> know. Let's just shame them, Dan. It's not that hard to become a patron. We're not asking for the moon here. You know, we're not we're just asking, asking for the moon to fall. Night. Uh... <laughs> Well, we kind of are actually asking for the moon to fall, but that's a separate conversation, which you would know if you're listening to this, because we loved Moonfall so much. And I also want to say if people wonder where this money goes, it goes to support our engineer at this point. We don't quite mm -hmm. make enough money to do anything else with it. <laughs> no. It, it pays for the, the kibble of our engineer's puppy, <laughs> and it pays for some overhead costs in distribution and like having a server and and all that we would love to make money right. maybe also we would love to have enough patrons so that we can do another patrons only <gasps> that's episode right that's right. if we get to 250 patrons we will do a patrons only episode about a topic chosen by the patrons you know last time we did this it was 28 days later that was quite an eventful podcast so you know <laughs> if you if you're I'm never gonna in... live that down like that's, <laughs> that's the that's the podcast where anna got triggered that's like <laughs> If you want more like buzzworthy podcasts like that, I would you know recommend to your friends that you become a uh, a patron. Also, you can reach us via Twitter. Uh, I am at Dan Dresner, and she is at Anna Marie Cox. Dan, before we get started, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, although I have a very much like the characters in Trade to Busan fatalistic outlook about the world at this point. <laughs> um, in that, so I just came back from a weekend in which it was the first time I was like at an in-person sort of conference without masks. Oh, wow. Um, so like I had to give a talk and there was probably about 150 people in the room and maybe 10 of them were wearing masks. So it was simultaneously weird and yet in the end kind of vaguely liberating. And then... Next week, I will be going to the International Studies Association meetings, which is in Nashville, so I can guarantee you not a lot of masking probably going to happen there. So, And it's a weird thing because the pandemic has obviously lulled a little bit, but there is a part of me that is aware that there's a decent chance that at least three weeks from now, I will, in fact, be having COVID. So I don't know. Yeah, the, there's a new Omicron variant, apparently. Sub-variant, I believe yes, is what it's yes. No, it's yeah. interesting, though, that it sort of feels now like the chances of dying in the pandemic aren't so great, but nuclear right. war suddenly on the horizon. Who knew? <laughs> this is why, Anna, when I teach my end of the world class, I don't just focus on one way in which the world can end. I focus on all of them. And this show has been brought to you by The Great Courses. Uh, you can download <laughs> Dan's course. No, you can't actually. Although, Dan, you do have a course, right? I did have a great course, actually. Yeah, it's called uh, Foundations of Economic Prosperity. There uh, you the go. Political, the we, political we need, foundations of economic prosperity. That's we right. do need a sponsor. We should talk to them. <laughs> Let's get on with the show. Dan, why are we talking about Train to Busan? So one reason, Anna, is that it, it's a little bit awkward to do a podcast in which we talk about sci-fi and poli-sci, in particular international relations, and only discuss English language content. Mm -hmm. Because while English is a very popular language and it's easily the most popular <laughs> second language out there, you know what? An overwhelming majority of the world speaks a different language. And we have not done 
any content that is not done. Well, I guess we did uh, Cixin Liu's. The Three Body Problem was originally written in, in Chinese, yes. obviously, but we did the English language translation of it. But one of the real perks, I would also argue, of the streaming services, particularly Netflix, has been the ease of access to international sci-fi. And so it seemed appropriate that we finally talk about something not made in the United States. And Train to Busan was it. Also, this is my favorite zombie movie of the last 10 years. And the only one that comes close to it is, in fact, Alive, which is another Korean effort. Interesting, as we shall discuss shortly, that there's yes. already another favorite Korean zombie movie for you. Mm -hmm. I will say, and this is a little bit embarrassing to admit, is that I have a lifelong aversion to closed captioning hmm. or subtitled movies. I actually like closed captioning. That's weird. See, I was what's saying, weird, that's weird so you watch is I love closed captioning. Yeah. I love having this the things that the people are saying in English appear below this appear on the screen. But there's something about the discord between the language and reading it that bothers me. Really? That's fascinating. I know. Um, and yet I also really don't like dubbed. Although, you know, no. what? I maybe I should try it, but you can't always get dubbed. This is, wasn't available dubbed. I couldn't experiment. No, I confess. So Netflix, most of the Netflix shows you can watch either dubbed or with subtitles. And I discovered very early on, I hate dubbed. Yeah. I mean, with a passion. It looks bad. Um, it looks bad. And also, it takes something away from the acting. Because yeah. I, I, for me, at least, I would rather hear the original actor's performance. And even if I can't understand what they're saying, vocal intonations matter a fair amount. And they're different in terms of the native language as opposed to sort of hearing the dubbed version of it. I completely agree. When I watch dubbed, that isn't satisfying either. I'm just going to have to work on this. Like, yeah. <laughs> we should watch more foreign language movies. And maybe it's just a thing where, like, I initially didn't like it, like, as a teenager mm -hmm. or something. And I just haven't pushed myself or something, you know, like. This is shit. Listeners, this is another reason to encourage more patrons, because I guarantee you with more patrons, we will be able to pressure Anna to watch more foreign language <laughs> And yes. they, I mean, I feel like I've watched some over the years. And I feel like I've even seen, I think I've seen some of the Japanese, like, ghost horror stuff. Mm -hmm. Like the original Ring. Ooh, I haven't seen that. Oh yeah, I've seen the I've seen the U.S. version of it. The, I the think the U.S. version, version is pretty good. Actually, we yeah. should probably move on. Yes. To, to my favorite addition to our structure here, <laughs> Chekhov's What's It? My Chekhov's What's It is the pathologically selfish businessman. Chekhov's pathologically selfish businessman, Dan? which is a prominent feature in this movie. Yes. Uh, for me, it's Lemmings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the conversation at the very beginning about Lemmings, which does recur in both ironic and unironic versions later on in the film. Yeah, uh, you just, I mean, you made me think about how, if there's any shots that look like Lemmings, and there sort of is when all the zombies are hanging on to the end of the train. Yeah, that was the Lemmings. That that was definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, so the director was aware of what they were. Yeah. he was doing. Yeah. Uh, let's put it that way. All right, we need to get to the story behind the story. So I'm very curious how Han is going to do this since it's, of course, an entirely Korean behind the story. Yes. Uh, I will apologize in advance that I did read some of this um, through Google Translate. So <laughs> I might get some things wrong. But I hope that I didn't. <laughs> I'm just going to insert a really crazy thing here, which is, are you, were you ever a fan of news radio, Anna? Yeah, yeah. The episode that will always make me laugh is when Jimmy James flies to Japan because his book, which was translated into Japanese, you know, becomes a bestseller there. Mm -hmm. And then when he reads the book in Japan, he's reading a book that was translated in Japanese, and then they translated it back into English. And it's... You know, remember that thing like about a decade ago when you would take a phrase and yeah. read it into Google Translate and then translate it back and it's insane? I, I always think about it's that. gibberish. Go ahead. Hopefully yes. this is not gibberish. Yes. So interestingly enough, this actually debuted at Cannes. May 16, 2016. It was released in the U.S. and Korea in July. Mm -hmm. It has a Rotten Tomatoes score. It might This might be the highest rated Rotten Tomatoes score we have done so far. 94% out of 121 reviews. The budget was eight point five million. Dan, this that movie is made almost a hundred million dollars worldwide. I am actually impressed at that low budget. I mean, there are a few shots where you can sort of. Guess I was going to say, I'm production. not. I mean, 
I'm not like my jaw doesn't drop to hear. No, that. no, but this was a well shot. My jaw frog. drops to hear that it made ten times. <laughs> like I'm not surprised that by back. that, but then I mean, yes, we will well, talk, yeah. I mean, I'm. It, I mean, I get why people liked it, but yeah. that's still very impressive. I guess what I'm yeah. going to say. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Especially for a Korean language film. Yes, uh, it was mostly really well loved. I had to look for um, a bad review, but a typical <laughs> pro review. Yan manages numerous deft, affecting maneuvers with characters drawn from a cross-section of Korean society. He keeps us guessing until the nervy closing seconds. It's a delayed arrival, but finally, here is the summer blockbuster for which we've all been waiting. So, Guardian really loved it. Again, I had to really search for some negative reviews, but I found a few. One of them from mm-hmm. Playlist. It doesn't add anything significant to the zombie genre, nor has anything perceptive to say about humanity in the face of crisis. Sure, it lacks brains, and that's an easy quip to make, but what Train to Busan really needs, and disappointingly lacks, is heart. Dan's shaking his head. I am shaking my head in such a disappointed, sad dad fashion. So I alluded to this before. One of the most interesting things about this movie to me almost more interesting than the movie itself is that (laughs) this is one of the few Korean zombie movies that exist. A couple of articles called it the first Korean zombie movie. That is not quite right. There are a couple. Mm -hmm. And but since there have been more and Jan has actually made both a prequel and a sequel. (laughs) So (laughs) we've already exponentially raised the number of Korean zombie movies in the world. As far as like how it was shot, I think this is interesting. It draws heavily from a, a couple of video games, uh, Seven Days to Die, Ghosts in the Shell, and Silent Hill, as far as like how the zombies move. Hmm. Yes. And this is what I really am intrigued by. And it, I might go back and watch some of his earlier work because, get this, Dan, <laughs> <laughs> one reviewer said his early work is even more scaling and nihilistic it was watered down here for wider mainstream appeal. I do love the idea of anyone reviewing Train to Busan and saying, oh, man, I can't believe Young Sang-ho went corporate with this. Good Lord. <laughs> can't believe he pushed the feel-good movie of the zombie genre out because that is not what this is. I'll say that. I will. Yeah. So yeah. I looked up some of his his other uh, movies are all anime. Oh. And I looked up some reviews of them and – uh, the reviews indicate he did lighten up. <laughs> King of Pigs is one of the darkest, most depressing, brutal, and most disturbing animated features I've ever seen. And yet, going through the whole experience was honestly worth it. It was also called Napoleon Dynamite as Redrawn by Extremely Alienated Sociopaths, a never-knowingly understated outpouring of high school trauma that extends to cat murder glue huffing, multiple suicides, and casual sexual humiliations. So that's all one movie. That's King of Pigs. And then, which is about two people from high school getting back together. I didn't read further. Sabai or Saibi. Dan, do Mm -hmm. you know what that is? Saibi? No, but it's translated as the fake. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, So Saibi, which is uh, the fake, is about a con man that goes back to his village to confront, or he, he goes back for reasons and there's a religious huckster there and they squabble and the review i read said one of the most in your face brutally honest and also oddest films i've seen in a while it's obviously an indictment on the relation between hopelessness rural poverty and christianity invading eastern culture and blind religious faith so interesting okay this this is him watered down so might want to explore further casting a fairly well-known korean and korean american actors it had a record box office on its opening day in korea and um some critics picked up on a message about class and capitalism i came up here and there in the reviews so maybe we can talk about that later that Um, seems like a good idea okay and you already mentioned the sequel and I mentioned there's already two films that have been based on it. There is a Train to Busan universe now, I guess. Mm-hmm. And there is an American version in the works. I think this pedigree here sounds promising. Okay. Dan, the director is Indonesian, and most of his work is Indonesian. Uh, mm-hmm. But he did contribute to one of the VHS franchises, which are mostly pretty good, I'd have to okay. say. Like, those are some found vid. That's the found video 
uh, franchise, horror franchise. Right. The writer for the train, the American train, it won't be going to Busan, but <laughs> the writer for the American train to Busan remake, Gary Dauberman, who has written in the Conjuring universe and also wrote both It movies. And oh, the It okay. movies were pretty good. Sure. And then it's being produced by James Wan, who, if you're a horror fan, you know who that is. Yes. I Even would. I am not a horror fan and know who he is. So he, yes. he he invented the Saw franchise and right. is now a horror movie magnate. Dan, do you want to guess where the train is going? See, now, so if they were actually going to parallel train to Busan, it should be train to Miami given the geography, but I'm betting it's going to New York. It is going to New York, Dan. Yeah, you're correct. I was disappointed to see that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like geographically it should be going someplace, like, less populated, right? Right. Busan is, I believe, used to be called Pusan. It's it's right on the very edge of the Korean Mm -hmm. Peninsula. And so that's why I said Miami. That would be Yeah, it feels like it should be going away from major metropolitan. I mean, still major area. But anyway, uh, it is actually already scheduled to be released in April of next year. But I didn't see anything about shooting happening yet. So anyway, edge of seat for that one. Like I said, I think that pedigree sounds like it could be okay. But... And honestly, how hard could it be? That's what I'll say. <laughs> oh, all right. Cops, throwing down, throwing down, Dan. Let's let's get started. Let's yes. let's, let's get started so we can fight. Let's discuss the plot and, you know, act one might signal as to why Anna might not be a big fan of this film. <laughs> the protagonist is a bad dad. After a very disturbing prologue involving an undead deer near a chemical plant, we meet Sukwu, a fund manager and complete prick who seems hell-bent on screwing over his customers. He is the father of Suan, but he's a bad dad, going so far as to buy her the same gift for her birthday that she received for Children's Day. Little wonder that Suan wants to go to Busan to see her mom, Sukwu's estranged wife. They leave early in the a.m. on KTX. Just as the train is about to depart, an ill young woman runs onto the train unnoticed. She quickly turns into a zombie and attacks a train attendant who also turns undead very quickly. What I'm saying is these ain't the shuffling kind of zombies. These are 28 days later style living dead. As the infection starts to spread throughout the train, we meet the other human passengers, uh, Sang Hua and his very pregnant wife, Song Kyung, Yeon Suk who manages to be an even bigger corporate asshole than Suk Woo. And there is also a high school baseball team that includes Yong Guk and his cheerleader girlfriend Jin Hee. There are also elderly sisters In Gil and Jong Gil, and a traumatized homeless stowaway hiding in the bathroom. The traumatized homeless stowaway hiding in the bathroom has no name in the credits, so I am going to call him Joe. <laughs> uh, Anna, one of my hypotheses about zombie films is that you can tell if they're going to be good or not based on the quality of the pre-zombie scenes. In my opinion, Train to Busan does not disappoint in that regard. There is an excellent economy to how the main characters are stretched out. Anna, explain to me why I'm wrong. You say economy, I say cliche. Mm. (laughs) The very first note I have for this movie is, does Roland Emmerich know they stole his IP? It's a bad dad! He's divorced. It's a cute kid. I don't know that much more about them. And I actually, like, of course, you say, of course, she wants to go visit her mom. Mm -hmm. And I'm not asking for, like, a fully drawn out character. But I have, like, zero sense of what's going on in this family besides the fact that he's a bad dad. But I will say that's what makes it different from Roland Emmerich, which is if it was a Roland Emmerich film, <laughs> the, the the mom would have been a protagonist. They would have been reunited at the end. And so whereas in true. this version, we don't I mean, I think we we don't even hear her. We see one half of a conversation that Suk Woo has with her, but we never hear from her again. And maybe that's a choice. And speaking yeah. of choices, there mm-hmm. is a line that really intrigued me. Uh, yes. I mentioned it in the opening. He, you know, as a stereotypical bad dad, he misses mm-hmm. her recital, oh, right? yes. It's interesting that he missed it because she, she doesn't do well, and it is perhaps because he wasn't there, right? Yes. Although I do like, I like the theory that you're potentially floating now, which is she just isn't good at it, but she used him as the excuse. (laughs) She just totally threw him under the bus, but keep going. Yeah. I know. Like the other thing I thought when she started singing in that, so we see a video that her, Mm -hmm. presumably her, her grandmother took. Yeah. The first thing I thought there was like, wow, she's not very good at this. (laughs) 
sure you know how I feel about children, Dan. I was uh, I'm beginning to realize why you might not like this film. I was worried about this because it's simultaneously a bad dad and a child actor plays a prominent role. We're really learning a lot, I think, about about what your triggers are on yep, this. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. So Suck Woo sees the video that Granny took. Mm-hmm. And he tells her that he saw it, and she asks, how did you see it? And he says, (laughs) it may look like I'm not there, but I'm always watching you. Now, Dan? Yes? Could have been a very interesting movie if that's where the horror came from. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Following that line of thought, I feel Mm -hmm. like we could have had a very interesting and perhaps somewhat transgressive movie about the male gaze and a female child. And I would see that movie, and that's not what I got. I got something. It's fine. Yes. It's totally fine. I will say, Dan, this is the, you know, right up front, I started to get the idea that there might be some class commentary. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? What, I just what sort was of, it? I, didn't, yeah. I don't know. It's like something, but he's a businessman and yep. selfish. I don't know, like not very warm. I, I will say this. One of the saddest aspects of this film for me is that when a little bit later when Suan has to explain what his father does, what her father does, there is no Korean word. All she says is fund manager. Like that is the the translation for what he does into Korean. Which is what, so he hedge fund, man, they don't have hedge? What is the- I think the point is, is that fund manager comes from English. In other words, the capitalism that oh. you might potentially not be thrilled with, it, the idea is that it's an American or Anglo, you know, Ang- anglicized mm. word. Yeah, I'm just going to say that. All right. Let's proceed with Act 2. Pardon me, boy. Is this the Daejeon Station? And by the way, let me just say out front, I very possibly am going to be massacring the Korean language names as we continue with this podcast. I just want to apologize to my our Korean language listeners or our Korean fluent uh, speakers for my horrible mispronunciations. And I will just point out what was pointed out to me at one point, which is it is kind of a form of white supremacy that Americans in general are so bad at pronouncing other languages. But I could do Russian. I could do other language, you know, but not known Korean. I, I grant you that. Yes. You know, I mean, I think it's something to think about, Dan. And it's my job as a social justice warrior on this podcast to point out shit like this. Okay. And as the international relations scholar to the Koreans listening, if you forgive me, come samnida. Okay. All right. So the remaining humans barricade themselves within train cars and deduce that the zombies only attack when they can see and or hear humans, but they can't open doors. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to rip. Yeah. I want to talk more about the rules of the zombies. Right. But I did kind of love that they're stupid. Yes. (laughs) For some reason, that kind of amused me. Made me chuckle. I mean, that is entirely consistent with, with. most zombie films yeah. in most zombie films they're not going to figure out oh you open up a door by doing this the you know that door seems especially kind of like you got to be really dumb like to not get it but i again i yeah. found that amusing okay continue so sukwu nearly shuts out sanghua who calls him out on it suan is embarrassed that her father is such a selfish prick which in korean is pronounced fund manager <laughs> uh, the train stops at Daejeon and the passengers disembark, believing they'll be protected by the military there. More like they need to be protected from the military, am I right, Anna? Mm, I think you might be right, Dan. <laughs> I think this movie's trying to tell us something. Yep. So everyone at Daejeon Station has already gone full zombie, and soon they are attacking the passengers. Uh, the survivors flee back onto the train, although not all of them make it. Our protagonists are split up with Su-An, Song Kyung, who's the pregnant lady, and Joe trapped in a bathroom in a car otherwise filled with zombies, Sang-hwa, Suk-woo, and the baseball player Young-guk in one car, and then corporate asshole Young-suk, Jin-hee, and almost all the other passengers along with the train conductor in a separate car. Anna, the, the attack at Daejeon Station is sort of a, I thought, actually quite clever blending of both live action and CGI, and it worked really well for me. I thought this was a legitimately great action scene, um, and it was something that I hadn't really seen before. I, I think World War Z kind of tried to do this, but I actually thought this was more effective because it was actually a smaller scale attack. What say you? I liked the action in the movie. That that, that I have zero complaints about, and I was going to mm-hmm. mention this earlier on the production side. Mm-hmm. Again, some of this is from Google Translate, so forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, but if someone can read it, the original. But 
I think uh, one of the deliberate choices in the movie was to, well, I know they deliberately uh, filmed it in standard dimensions rather than widescreen Mm -hmm. uh, to sort of create that feeling of claustrophobia and that Hmm. feeling of like things happening really fast. And they filmed long shots. Yes. Like there's the shots, the the number of shots in the movie, the director actually says like the number versus the number of shots there's in an anime movie, which obviously anime is going to be very different. But Mm -hmm. For him, as a director, he was making choices to like have those shots be very long and very close, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why the action feels so intimate and urgent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Even in... And that's actually why the station works. It's actually... Like, World War Z, the movie, tries to make its zombie stuff with scale. Right. right? Like, it tries to, to make it dramatic with scale. Like, that mm-hmm. scene of... The the famous scene from that movie of the zombies like piling up on each other. To yes, the-, the leaning tower of zombie Pisa. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes the opposite direction here, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's right. just all this very contained action. Mm-hmm. That's what I like about this movie <laughs> and the zombies. <laughs> I want to talk a little about the ground rules. Mm-hmm. And then preface this by saying I'm being really picky. And if I like <laughs> this movie more, I probably wouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. But I have questions. Okay, go for it. One of them is how long does it take the infection to fully emerge? Because it varies. It varies, but not that much. I mean, the impression I got was that you got about five minutes. Like eh, Sometimes it happens a lot faster. Okay, fine. I think if they die, then they wind up turning very quicker. But like, I think it's like five minutes if you are alive. It's just like, wh- I'm a big fan of exposition, actually. Like, I think one of the reasons I love genre is exposition mm-hmm. dumps. Like, I personally love it when people explain to me how the world works. And there were no exposition dumps in this film. And that, and that fi- can yeah. be clever. That can right. be... No, no, no. But you're right. I mean, there are times where exposition actually, like, there are times where a minute of exposition saves you God knows how much more time because you just get it out of the way. I, and, and that's a fair point. And they do make... It's not exactly exposition, but they figure out the zombies can't they operate by sight. Right. That their eyes are cloudy, Dan. Yeah. Like. <laughs> and then also the sound thing, like you said, is they just attack any sound? They Can mm-hmm. they, the sounds that humans make? Do they attack, how do they, do they attack moving things? Is that what it is? If you were, why are, if, if they just attack things that they see, then they'd be attacking like poles. Right. But they, anyway, okay. So no, no, these are, these are fair questions. My assumption was was that they, whatever the state of their eyes, that they could somehow see human movements, and that was what they were drawn to. But absent sight, they would move to sound, which is when the sound matters in the film, because there are various yep. times where there's no, you know, it's a dark shot because they're in a tunnel or something, and that's when they react particularly to sound. It's just weird to have them both sight. I don't know. Like again, sort of exposition purposes. I like it when there's sort of rules about how the zombies know what to do right Mm -hmm. how does it spread that's real important like apparently in the movie it's only bites right but not not blood oh and there's lots of blood in this movie yeah and who knows how mixed up it is like it looks like everybody's bleeding on everybody right i mean but that's not let me put it this way i i think well, like, but, look at 28 Days Later. Like, they handle that by being like, people have to be very careful if blood gets on them. Right, but this is where I would say 28 Days Later is actually the exception rather than the rule for when it comes to zombie films. In most zombie films, in theory, maybe blood can do it, but usually it's like, there's got to be a bite. There's got to be, like, a okay. full-on exposure. All right. Maybe I'm so just thinking actually, too much about 28 Days Later. Yeah. There's an indication that there's a personality change brought on by the illness at some point. Like, mm-hmm. when they have a call with Granny... She suddenly calls the mom a bitch at the end of the call. That was interesting, actually. But yes, um, I actually wish there had been a like little it's a more very loving call, like a yeah. saying goodbye. She knows she's been bitten, and then right. she like calls her a bitch. And then there's the thing where Young Sook, when he's bitten, he mm-hmm. suddenly becomes pathetic and childlike. So, just I'm raising questions that I know you have no answers for. And it's just this. So this is the way I would put this. And and here I will agree with you on this point, because I'm going to talk about this later. The way in which some of the characters turn into zombies changes as the movie goes along. It's not consistent. And I think that's an absolutely fair point. But I will also say that I like the way that I I don't have a problem with it, maybe because I like the movie more than you do, but also because in particular in the final two cases, it adds some pathos to characters that you wouldn't necessarily it was a curveball when you see Young Sook in particular change. I fair guess. point. Fair point. Yeah. 
here's my biggest problem. Okay. How do these people not know they're in a zombie movie? (laughs) I'm kind of serious here. Like, zombie movies, it is true, and maybe this is a commentary on the genre, that they don't have the level of, like, self-awareness that other Mm -hmm. genre movies have developed. But, like, in vampire movies, even in kind of old vampire movies, everyone knows vampire lore, like Mm -hmm. we do. Like, if we saw someone sucking blood out of the neck of another person, you and I'd be like, well, that might be a vampire. (laughs) And in a movie, that's what happens, too. Like, if Mm -hmm. someone finds somebody without blood, there's someone that's going to be like, wow, maybe that's a vampire. These people see people turning into zombies, and no one thinks, like, oh, it's zombies. Like, (laughs) like, especially this really bothered me. When mm-hmm. the attendant goes to check on the sick young girl, who's clearly, like, not just sick, right? And also, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know. Like, okay, I feel so like no, someone... Okay, so I'm going to... Let me put... First of all, it's not surprising to me that the attendant didn't know what to do with the sick young girl, because that's literally the first zombie that's Okay, seen. okay. So that's okay. like, you got to... You got to... I mean, there has to be some learning at some point, okay. right? Otherwise... You know, so I'm going to push back on that. What I will say, and this is a fair point, is that in most zombie movies, there is that one moment of exposition where someone says what the rules are. Right. And like there were moments when that could have could have occurred in Train to Busan. And yet there it doesn't happen, which is a little bit surprising. Or just like, oh, look, zombies like that. Also, I would accept like it's just sort of funny to me. It is worth remembering. I mean, if you really want to go this direction, if I remember correctly, I think in all of Romero's films combined, no one says zombie. Well, the word zombie gets mentioned like once or twice. That's That's it. It doesn't happen. But like, there's Um, the undead. You know, like that, that would cover it too. I mean, maybe this, and this might get to the question of why there aren't, I mean, as as you said, if this is the first Korean zombie movie, it actually would be sensible. It's not the first, but yes. But it's it's, almost the first. They're rare. And that to me is just interesting on his face. And maybe when we get to the IR section, I Mm. wonder if, if you have any thoughts about the prevalence or, or, or not lack of zombie genre in certain cultures. I, you're, you're the expert. Oh, guys, have we not mentioned we have the zombie expert? I think we did not. Oh, my God. Dan, there might be people listening to this podcast who don't know that you are the zombie expert. I I don't like to claim expertise about a lot of things, Anna. But, yes, I have written a book <laughs> called Theories of International Politics and Zombies. So this is an area where if called if asked to testify before Congress as an expert, I would step forward and do so. I'd do my duty. And I also want to see that movie, like, <laughs> which also gets to the to self-awareness issue. Like, yeah. it would be so, like, that would happen if there were zombies released in the U.S. today. Mm-hmm. And it was happening at a slow enough level that there was time for a congressional hearing. They would yes. call you. That, you know what? That's kind of you to say. <laughs> Although these are fast zombies and that would not happen as a re- in other words, I, this is. Should we talk a little bit about fast zombies versus slow zombies? We should talk a little bit about fast zombies versus slow zombies. So, I, in the book, I talked about whether or not you know it matters whether are fast zombies or slow zombies in terms of the response in terms of international relations. And the answer I gave is that essentially it doesn't matter whether the zombies are slow or fast; they are going to go global no matter what. The difference is how, which is to say, with slow zombies, precisely because they are slow the state reaction to them will likely also be slow, much like, I don't know, other pandemics that we might be experiencing. (laughs) And so as a result, yes, it's going to take longer for the the zombie spread to go transnational, but transnational it will go. Whereas with fast zombies, the state just simply will be unable to react quickly enough to what is happening. So in a Train to Busan-style zombie outbreak in the United States, there will be no congressional hearings. Um, There would never be enough time for that. I would call you, though. Oh, thank you. Anna. I'd be like, Dan, Dan, what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> We're in a zombie movie, Dan. <laughs> you know, if that happens, Anna, we will do a special AMA. I think <laughs> I think that's that's what we owe our Emergency patients. AMA. I Emergency right. AMA. I yes, so. exactly. All right. All right. Let's move on. Let's, let's go get on this to, train going. Yes. <laughs> let's get to act three. You are voted off the train car. So Sanghua, Sukwu, and Youngguk fight their way to Suan, Songkyung, and Joe. They exploit the train going through tunnels to make their way to the front car. But when they arrive, Yun Suk, fearful that this group will bring the zombie virus with them, rallies the passengers to barricade the door. 
Sukwu and Yongguk are able to pry the door open, but not before Sanghua is bitten and just turns undead, to Song Kyung's everlasting uh, sadness. Sukwu is furious at Young Suk for behaving in an even more fun managery way than he used to and punches him. Young Suk accuses them of being infected and demands that the survivors isolate themselves in the front vestibule. Uh, Jin Hee, who is Young Guk's girlfriend, reunites with him and goes with them. As it turns out, this was probably the right move for them to make because <laughs> as I Yun- also thought to myself, wow, sure is yeah. lucky they got ostracized. <laughs> exactly. As Young Suk and others try to tie off the door to the vestibule, Yong Gil, disgusted at the passengers and despairing for the loss of her sister in Gil, and she can see her across the way, turned into a zombie, deliberately opens the opposite door, allowing the zombies to come in and massacre the rest of the car's passengers. The train is forced to stop in East Daegu because of an obstructed track, and the conductor announces that he'll get another locomotive and all remaining human passengers should make their way. That is almost exactly what the announcement says. I know, yeah, Which I did love. Yes, it's great. That all remaining human passengers should make their way to the left side of the station. Yeon Suk, still alive and hiding in the bathroom of a zombie-filled compartment, uses the other survivor as zombie bait so he can escape. Along the way, the zombies chasing him attack Jin Hee. A lovelorn Yongguk stays with Jin Hee until she turns and attacks him. And I have to say, Anna, again, one of the things about this film is that it swings very wildly between action and just total pathos. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not just not doing it for you. Keep going. Um, I want to say something about the lovelorn Yongguk. Yeah. At the beginning of this movie, I was kind of hopeful that there might be some interesting commentary on masculinity because. Mm-hmm. Sangwa has a terrible joke that he makes. Yeah, yeah, he, it was a pretty big asshole comment. Uh, he is pointing out that his girlfriend Song Wang, Song Kyung, like that Song Kyung, is pregnant, and he says point blank, "I made that," <laughs> and that's a real asshole thing to say. And I was like, "Oh, interesting." So we have this, you know, hedge fund manager who's obviously a form of toxic masculinity, and then we have this guy who's like more proletarian, but also exhibiting a form of toxic masculinity. I wonder if we're going to get some kind of commentary about this. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. So, okay, let me put it this oh, way. Yeah. And I'm willing to, if you want to push back on this, this is fine, because my interpretation of what he did then was somewhat different, which was, let me put it this way. I thought when he was saying this stuff, he knew he was being an asshole. In other words, he was... So it's a microaggression and not a not a macro or I I think he was trying to do it as sort of a joke I guess would be the way to put it maybe I mean and and it's also this is just me kind of reaching for stuff and the reason I mentioned this in the context of young gook is that Mm -hmm. he's also an example when I'm like when I was like looking for masculinity stuff he's very sensitive he's like very emo kid um Mm -hmm. at one point he's unable to to attack his friends who've become zombies and i'm like oh again and i'm still at this point like oh interesting like we have these like modes of masculinity and like what's going to happen yeah i don't think they really it's not something not something this movie is interested in (laughs) no i was gonna say you texted me that the movie had had things to say about masculinity i was like really that because like there are a lot of times where you do this and i honestly hadn't noticed and i think you're right but in this case i agree with you nope i was just like looking for stuff um because i maybe was a little bored and i was just wrong i'm just wrong i was just wrong fair enough all let's right, let's, let's get this the, train to the station. Let's close the plot with Act Four, which I've titled "The Kid Is Cute." Anna, admit the kid is cute. The train conductor. So admitted, Dan. There we go. So admitted. Uh, the train conductor starts a locomotive on another track. He sees a hobbling Yon Suk trying to get on the train, and then tries to assist him but is attacked by the zombies for his troubles and dies. Suk-woo and the others are trapped between trains when a runaway flaming locomotive derails and traps the remaining survivors. Suk-woo finds a way out. Joe, the vagrant, sacrifices himself and holds off the zombies so that su An and Sung-kyung can escape into the new uh, locomotive. Father, daughter, and pregnant lady manage to get onto the locomotive, barely escaping the zombie chain trying to grab onto the train. Which One again, of the coolest shots in the movie. It was a really cool shot. Okay, I'm glad it might we're be. I take it. It is the coolest shot in the movie, and yeah. the whole idea of it. Although I was kind of hoping, I'm not someone who likes gore, but mm-hmm. part of me was like, oh, the zombies at the bottom must be getting chewed up by the <laughs> track, yes. and that's probably right. really gnarly, you know. <laughs> Yes. I kind of wanted to see that. Fair enough. Sukwu opens up the uh, 
locomotive car and finds Yeon Suk there, and he doesn't look too good. Yeon Suk asks him to take him home to Busan, but his eyes are all milky and he's clearly turning into a zombie. He fights Suk Woo, who manages to throw him off the train, but not before getting bitten himself. Still human, Suk Woo manages to deposit Su An and Sung Kyung into the locomotive car and says goodbye to his daughter. Su An is understandably distraught by the realization that her soon-to-be-undead dad is now a good dad, but will no longer be a dad soon. Flashing back dead to dad. Yes, dead dad. Flashing back to the pleasant memory of Suan's birth, Sukwoo falls off the train. Suan and Song Kyung stop the train on the tunnel to Busan and walk the rest of the way. Parameter guards are ordered to fire on them because they can't determine whether they're zombies or not. But then they hear Suan singing Aloha A just as she was supposed to sing it at class and they are rescued. Still kind of shitty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you heartless... Heartless wench, Anna. My God. I am. It all goes back to my own childhood, Dan, but that's a story for another day. Fair enough. But here's where I will agree with you. We've talked about how the viewer will do the work for movies that we overall like and not do the work for movies that we don't. And for me, at least, watching it this time, the final act of this film falls into this category because the way that Yun Suk and Suk Woo turn into zombies is at odds with all of the other zombie turns we see. Mm-hmm. Up until the final act, whenever we see someone bitten and turning into a zombie, it's spasmodic, it is violent, it is, you know, like they can barely say anything most of the time. That, you know, it, it, it as you say, it's almost video game-like. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas with Yun Suk, it was really you sort of, there was a lot of bathos and also same with Suk Woo. And yet it worked for me. And I particularly like how for just the tiniest second, the film actually makes you feel sorry for Yeon Suk because he acts like a small child. And it was not something I was expecting. And I remember feeling this like just tiniest drop of sympathy. So agree or disagree? I think I don't object to that last scene i mean it's i think it's done well mm-hmm. i think especially sakwu is a does the performance of that actor who by the Dong way Yu. i also yeah. found out young is uh distantly related to confucius um, wow. when i was doing I, I i texted that to you that's like yeah, no, the, no, fa- I know. the I know. favorite I fact i found out i, I should have i forgot to put that in the story yeah. behind the story i think he's particularly good yeah actually as the movie goes on i yeah. will say like i said i don't think that opening is all that but like he's he's good the mm-hmm. child i just hate child actors for <laughs> child actor i guess she's okay <laughs> the businessman you know has not doesn't have much to work with no no he's a total asshole but like it, that it, one brief moment where you're supposed to feel sorry for him it works i him. did feel sorry for him yeah i i think you're right just in as a rule of thumb i mean although i mean Again, listeners, if you haven't heard our arrival episode, I think it's actually a really good episode. Even though I get on, I mount my my hobby horse, uh, <laughs> a very tall one. I get in the ladder and climb onto the hobby horse. About it, what I think about arrival is that I have so many problems with it, but I recognize it's a good movie. Mm. I mean, we talked about it. Like yeah, I yeah, can yeah. see that it is technically a very good movie, right? Like in its form. Mm-hmm. And even in its substance, like the performances are good, you know, all of that. I just, I don't like it. <laughs> and to some extent, like I I don't, I mean, everyone gets to like what they like and I really, mm-hmm. you know, that's fine. But with this one, it's a little harder for me to be like, I guess I can see why people like it. I mean, I don't doubt that people do. In the Discord, people have talked about it and mm-hmm. and they like it and you like it. Yes. But it's just harder for me to see... The appeal. The appeal. I will say this. I think one of the appeals for me also is something that you don't we don't really talk about in the plot per se, which is the action scenes, which are extremely yeah. well done. Yeah. And like yeah. it's it's and and by the way, I think that's there's a way in which this is not really a horror movie. This is an action movie. I totally actually that is a great point. And I have a note in in my notes. Mm-hmm. Good place to put them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that there is there are zero jump scares in this movie. Right. Right. No, no, no. This is not a horror movie. And, and yeah. so I think maybe that's maybe that might be why it, it didn't say well. You. Also, I would say, you know, contrary to the, the review that you said at the beginning, it actually is innovative. I don't think I've seen a zombie movie on a train before. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You know, Sorry, that, is, that just makes me laugh. I don't yeah. think I've seen. I, yeah, sure. Like, I, you know. But it's a clever it's a clever it's space clever. to do this in. Yeah. It, it is clever. We still need to do Snowpiercer, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Okay. We should do the American 
and the Korean Snowpiercer and like do compare and contrast. Interesting. I think that'd be interesting because we can talk about this more later, but I am interested in maybe one of the things I'm not getting about this movie is its context in Korean culture. Hmm. Okay. That actually brings us to a question that I have for you. Yes, Anna. Is there IR in this movie? Do you work for the Lemmings, Anna? Of course, <laughs> of course, there is IR in this film. Um, and actually, I would say there's some pretty interesting IR, actually, because on one level, this is a very simple story about a realist approach to the world versus a liberal approach to the world. So Suk Woo explicitly tells his daughter that she doesn't have to be good. I mean, I was actually... I actually of, wrote this down. I was like, uh, Dan will have something to say about yes. this. no, no. no. <laughs> You know, yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, Sue on at one point, like, actually offers one of the elderly sisters a, a, a place to sit down. It's a lovely gesture from, like, a, a six-year-old. And Sukwu says, you don't have to be good. It's a it's a man-eat-man world out there. It's an anarchic world out there. A little over the top at that point, by the way. It was an <laughs> odd moment to bring that up. I'm going to grant you that. That's fair. Okay. But over the course of the film, Sukwu does learn the value of cooperation. That he does figure out that actually he's better off working with Sanghua rather than shutting him out. And and also there's reciprocity, which is Sanghua starts to help him as well. And what is interesting to me, at least, is the spin that Train to Busan gives to this debate, because much like the contagion effect of the zombie bite, the film suggests a contagion effect for both liberal and realist behavior. So Sanghua inspires Suk Wu and others to act in a more cooperative manner. And we see that in, you know, the way they work down the train car with the baseball player and the, and the, uh, the homeless person and, and uh, the other passengers. But we also see the flip side of that in the train car where Yon Suk claims that they've got to be infected and we've got to get rid of them. Because, you know, Yon Suk literally has everyone at each other's throats. There's this one shot after they've managed to ostracize them and put them in the vestibule, where literally all the other passengers are still, like, yelling at each other and incredibly uncooperative. Um, and and also, then they turn into zombies. Right. And then they turn... But only... And then <laughs> after they turn into zombies. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then Yun... Literally, chaos and bloodshed follows Yun Suk wherever he goes. Like, he is, you know, such an asshole that, like, he has no problem going somewhere else and just trying to use other people as bait. And so the interesting thing here is that, you know, IR theory sort of assumes that... The structure of the system causes people to either behave in a realist or liberal way. And weirdly, Train to Busan suggests, no, that much in a constructivist way, anarchy is what people make of it. That, you know, if people treat each other in a more cooperative fashion, you can create a liberal world. But if, on the other hand, people treat each other in a uh, a very realpolitik way, that's the world you wind up with. Our thoughts on this movie are surprisingly related. Mm Mm-hmm. So... That's a fair point, which means uh, I have a question for you, Anna. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this film? (laughs) Dan, if someone doesn't spot the critique of capitalism in this movie, she must have flunked school. Oh, oh. I did. There were there were several lines I laughed at, by the way, and Mm -hmm. that was one of them. (laughs) (laughs) This movie makes me almost want to revisit the Squid Game. Mm-hmm. Because so many people recommended that to us as an example of yeah. a of a good uh, you know foreign art product with a strong critique of capitalism, and mm-hmm. I watched the first episode and was like, I don't see the point of going further. And you watched more and were like, Don't worry about it; it's not very good. And I feel like I must be missing something, mm-hmm. <laughs> like. And I did do a little bit more research on this story behind this story, and there were some interesting articles. How many times do I have to say Google Translate? (laughs) But that talked about how, like, what was happening in South Korea, like, at Mm -hmm. the time that this movie came out. And and they had just gone through the MERS virus. Yeah, the MERS virus had hit. uh, Uh, And also there had been a horrific commuter accident. I think it's a boat. Mm -hmm. Was it a boat? Yeah. There is also the problem of Korean politics, which is how to put this gently, I, I believe Korean presidents, along with like Illinois governors, uh-huh. are yes, like okay. when when they leave office, <laughs> always wind up being imprisoned. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like maybe there's something I'm missing here that mm-hmm. m- makes it resonate more. But I don't think it's the capitalism piece. Hmm. Because I don't think there's actually a real critique of capitalism in this movie. There is a Ooh. critique of capitalists. 
And in fact, that makes me want to sort of go back and talk about your, uh, you know, the, the, the allegory of the train cars, right? Like one yeah. turns anarchic and one turns liberal. And I almost want to say like, yeah, that's sort of a problem for me. And that, that's a way of illustrating for me the problem of the movie in its approach to is capitalism bad, which is that it's people that make a difference, right? It's like, it's Yang Suk that makes the train car bad. And mm-hmm. it's the good personalities Sang-hwa or, yeah, the, that, that the, make just, yeah. the, the other train car, you know, more humanistic. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that people don't matter, <laughs> that individual choices don't matter. Or that there aren't terrible capitalists in the world, but you know, I, this is a tr- this is something that happens a lot in American culture, and it's something that I'm always amused by when I see it on the right, because um, sometimes the right will get upset about like a Disney movie that has like an evil businessman as mm-hmm. the villain, right. and they'll be like, "That's anti-capitalist." Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's just anti that capitalist, you know, and that's a movie about bad people and not bad systems. And you think that's true of Train to Busan as well? Um, I, I think, yeah. I think because we have, I mean, we have the good, the guy who becomes the good capitalist, who's mm-hmm. the, you know, fund manager. But and we have the guy that's the bad capitalist. And there's not really, a re- I mean, like, one of them becomes better. Yeah. But it's not a systemic thing. It's, it's, it's that he has to protect his daughter, right? Right. And she also shames him pretty much, you know, I mean. Oh, no, that pretty much. She absolutely shames him. Let's be clear. So so he becomes a better person. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's not really a critique of capitalism. It's just he becomes a better person, which matters, which totally matters. You should be a good person. If the Zambies come, then you should behave in a, a way that is helpful to other people and not be mean and selfish. But I just don't think it's a critique of capitalism because the problem with capitalism, Dan, mm-hmm. is not that there are mean, bad people. Mm-hmm. It's that the system rewards that kind of behavior. So, okay, maybe this is where we just have a fundamental disagreement about the, the caliber of the film because this is actually one of the reasons why I particularly like the first part of this film. Because that, that scene of Suk Woo in his office telling like a client no don't worry you know you yeah. don't need to sell and then he orders you know his underling to sell everything because it's going to be a problem and and there's actually a, a great shot of Sukwoo like looking at the meal that he's eating and almost disgusted with it and sort of throwing it out and i don't know the way i interpreted that scene was this is someone who is it's burger king too right like that's sort of i, I think so or it might have been the korean version of burger king but the right. point is is that it was someone who I actually think was somewhat disgusted with himself. He wasn't just disgusted with what he was eating. Yeah. I and I and that that to me suggests a system taking someone and forcing him to act in a certain way, which is in fact the very critique of capitalism that you were often a fan of and that I actually sometimes resist. But in this case, I it's just a simple elegant story of Again, it's just a few broad brushstrokes. You're right. It's not subtle. But you see someone who is clearly a cog in a larger machine who then discovers, by the way, in one of the plot twists in the film, that apparently the chemical company that he was like promoting turns out to be responsible for the chemical leak, which, again, I liked was a nice, not subtle, but but elegant, quick plot twist. I like that read. Okay. I think... The I I think my point kind of about what some people interpret as anti-capitalist mm-hmm. is actually being is what some people interpret as being anti-capitalism is actually sometimes anti-capitalist. Yeah. I do think that that's a good distinction to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Reach, reaching over to pat myself on the back. There you go. <laughs> and but I, I like your read on it. I just didn't. I think and maybe that's sort of maybe what I would say a flaw of the movie that I didn't see that. Or maybe it's it's also possibly me that I didn't see that. I was just so focused on the caricature, you know, of the evil businessman. I was like, right. like that's not helpful. That's not like a helpful like that's just a villain, right? Like that's not capitalism. That's right. a villain. Yeah, I think part of it also might be that again the first and this might this might be where Train to Busan there is a line between it and Squid Game because I think the Korean critique of capitalism and one of the the reasons why Squid Game was so popular within South Korea was the belief that while the Korean capitalism has undeniably led to demonstrable improvements in terms of the quality of life in South Korea, it is also completely exhausted 
the people participating in it. And I think that was the thing that... <laughs> Whereas we're doing great. Right, I know. <laughs> but I think the th- the reason I like Suk Woo and the reason I like Gong Yoo's performance in that first act is that he seems totally beaten down and exhausted. And so as a result, I never thought of him... He's a bad dad. And yes, he is playing the part of bad corporate asshole. But I, maybe it was that I was convinced by the acting that he was playing that part because he was a cog in the machine, not because that was what he was doing or what he wanted. And, to and do. I'll, I just, it's, oh, in my defense, I'll only say that again, I was sort of looking at this through the lens of the, the, um, of Young Sook being the villain. And I think, you mean Sook Woo, sorry. Oh no, no, you're right. You're right. God damn it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Sorry. So I think the reason that I was going with the critique that I had is that I, saw so it's so clear that young sook is the villain right right yeah, yeah, yeah. and in the very facile <laughs> reviews that i read about the movie that were like oh there's class criticism in this movie mm-hmm. they didn't really talk about suck woo as being like they really focus on like him on on young sook as being like the bad guy right right I do think there's more subtle things in the movie, and I did read some interesting reviews uh, from Korean outlets. Mm-hmm. I tried to read them, <laughs> one of which pointed out the elderly sisters yes. as an important point because uh, Korea has this aging population, female population mm-hmm. especially, that don't know quite how to <laughs> – you know, we're having – well, we have a little bit of this problem in the U.S., but it's happening a little more slowly, the graying. Yeah. You know, and also, I would add, population. we see that we don't see her that often, but the, the but the grandmother also is that, yeah, yeah. that role. Like you, you, you simultaneously have this like sleek apartment, and she's like husking beans. I think like it's a very traditional shot of her, and so yeah, yeah. that was also interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's more in this movie that I'm not seeing. I fully admit that. I do think I probably would have liked it better in a theater. I think that's probably a fair assessment be in if nothing else the action is going to like look yeah. even better i think in that in a on a yeah. big screen so fair enough but the last point i want to make dan mm-hmm. is that um obviously the zombies are capitalism <laughs> zombies mm-hmm. and let, just let me apologize in advance here dan are good consumers and you know what they're insatiable that's yeah, true that's right? true yep right. absolutely Oh no! It's the pieces of zombies um, that we're trying to hang on to the train. It's the debris field where we talk about the stuff we didn't get to talk about before. Dan, what do you got? Not a ton. I really only have a few things. First of all, this is a small joke, but I really I I did chuckle at it. Where Suk Woo at one point calls his military contact at Daejeon Station to try to like get a a first class out for him and Suan. And that military official was listed under lemmings in his phone, which I, you know, again, sort of recurs to that theme. Holy crap, Korean films are cynical <laughs> about the government. I mean, there is, it, it doesn't, it, it's not a long thing, but there is like a, a three or four minute news broadcast. Oh, it's pretty seen. long. It's actually like in the yeah. context of a movie that's not that long. Right. They, it's not subtle. <laughs> right. But like, it's just like, you know, the newscast or like the government official saying, don't worry, everything is totally under control. And like, it obviously isn't. And like, it's even yeah. more cynical than I think an American version of the film yeah. would be. Oh. Um, we'll see. This will be Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to see. And also, I think it's really interesting if you, it, as again, as some, some reviewers pointed out, if this movie comes out in the context of the MERS virus, there's going to be interesting vo- zombie movies made post- uh, pandemic or yeah, if we fair. ever get to post pandemic yeah who yeah, knows but go ahead and then finally this is this is the one thing i couldn't forgive this time like I, it, it made no sense to me which is, is that when Sanghua starts leading you know suck and and uh, the baseball player down the car like they realize they're gonna have to fight zombies he takes off his jacket and strips down to a t-shirt which makes no goddamn sense if you're going to be fighting things that bite you uh, okay yeah. that is a great point, and it brings. I have a response to it, and Good. it brings up another point that I have. All right, go ahead, Anna. Yes. A little piece of debris for me. Yeah, I do think that he strips off his jacket and tapes it around his arms. 
He starts taping his forearms, but like he right. leaves more I think exposed he uses, stuff. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. The whole like it's kind of like a cool little scene, right? They yeah. use the baseball team stuff to right. armor up. They get the bats, yeah, and like the the other stuff, yeah. I do, however, wish that in the words of the Wu Tang Clan, they would have thought <laughs> to protect your neck. <laughs> Because that does seem to be a weak spot, and that's where a lot of zombies go for. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they bulk up their arms. No necks protected. There you go. So, and that's that the first thing a zombie's going to go for. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Also, uh, more of my debris field. I want to see a movie centered on the carnivorous zombie deer. <laughs> that was a nasty little piece of CGI. It was by a the way. nasty piece of CGI. I think that would be could be yeah. hilarious and yeah. terrifying to have a deer be carnivorous and a zombie. That's that's a um, that's a sequel to Bambi that I'm not sure anyone wants to see. But yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, Zambi's mom and dad come back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh no! That would be a brilliant, a brilliant take on a Disney film where like the the mom or the parent dies at minute five, but in minute ten, it's an undead parent. I like that. I like I said there were moments I laughed out loud. I, one of them was when Young Sook is uh, trying to. It's where we very first meet him, yeah. and he's trying to explain the urgency of the situation. And he says, "Where's my business card?" Love it. Like it was funny, and I. I it occurred to me I always like those points in any kind of genre movie or emergency, you know, apocalyptic movie where someone tries to do something normal for a second, and then realizes like, oh yeah, that's not. That's not relevant anymore. I, I do want to say this might be a cliche, but it is also completely accurate as someone who has had to go to the Pacific Rim. Yeah. Most of these countries are very business card. Like that I know, is a I know. huge thing in there. I know, but cultures. it's like yeah. it's that, that I like yeah. I love that point in, yeah. in, in post apocalyptic movies where someone yeah. tries to do something that's really normal. Normal, right? Fair enough. Yes, I see. And it yeah. turns out. Oh, right. This is not the time or right. place to exactly. do this normal thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fair I had one more thought on capitalism, which is <laughs> no one's driving the capitalism train. Um, <laughs> just a random thought I had when they when it is true that no one is driving the train um, at some point. And then there's another sort of inside joke I have with myself that mm-hmm. I would like to share with the world, which is whenever I'm watching a movie or a TV show or something where it's really ham fisted, like what represents what mm-hmm. I always think of the 30 rock episode with Carrie Fisher called Rosemary's baby. <laughs> and she explains about a sketch that she wrote for like a laugh in type show. Mm-hmm. The mailbox was Haldeman. <laughs> Oh, the one thing you I think you were going to say this, but I don't think you you said it at any point, which I agree with you, is that the real hero of the movie is oh. the train conductor. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yes. You, I, I think I, you, you, you deserve that point. I, I, that's a yes. good point. Yes. I love that. Again, that's another moment of like trying to be trying to do something from the old world, yeah. <laughs> from the world that no longer exists when he mm-hmm. says like, well, all human passengers. Like, yes. I love like that. He does the announcement that's just like a normal train announcement. Right. And he gets a train started for them. I yeah. mean, like. Well, uh, no, he actually impressive. He saves their lives. He doesn't just save their lives. He actually tried to rescue Yun Suk, which yeah, like was too. was a weird move. Actually, like he didn't have to. That was, that was above and beyond the call. So you know. Oh, and throughout the movie, it's actually I believe he's always like, we have to wait for the passengers. Now yes. that I think about it, yeah. he throughout the movie is like, no, we can't leave yet. We have to wait for the passengers. So yeah. yes, that guy. Want to know more about his story? Exactly. Yes. So I I'm not un happy i watched this mm-hmm. uh <laughs> it was a diverting way to spend my evening i am really curious about his other movies those anime movies that sound so fucking grim yeah i'm not sure i'm as enamored about those but yes. I'm, and, I'm intrigued i don't okay. know if i'll watch them they sound too grim for me yeah like <laughs> and if they sound too grim for you anna they are definitely too grim and there's for me. the whole like cat murder glue huffing sexual assault part of it no i I don't the cat murder especially not gonna no yeah thumbs down thumbs down uh listeners dan is making emphatic thumbs down (laughs) gestures (laughs) (laughs) so yeah not good i'm i'm curious uh what more we get out of this series though and i am very curious about the about the american remake i will probably go see it uh it's gonna be so different you know that yeah like 
it's i will it's, wait for the reviews on that but i live this way i as, as listeners could probably tell i like this movie better than anna so I, it's going to be a higher bar for me about whether the american film here's my better. prediction about the american film version mm-hmm. which is that it's not going to have the economy yeah and the you know aerodynamic shape let's say on a train <laughs> Much like um, much like American much, trains are much not, like American trains are, are bulkier not, and slower than the KTX train. Yes, I think that that it is will a, not be as sleek and aerodynamic. That is an excellent <laughs> prediction. I think we are we are at one on that. It's going to have some banter. This movie has no banter. <laughs> no, it's going to have some character development and some exposition. Those are my predictions. Yeah. I will stand by them. <laughs> So this has been fun. Uh, listeners, if you know, we didn't mention this. We're talking about being a patron. We have special episodes for patrons. Mm-hmm. It's a good reason to become one. There's also eventually going to be swag. You also can become a part of our Discord community, which I also mentioned the Discord. That's like a chat place. I don't know, Dan. It's a place where you do you chat with people. But they, they seem to enjoy the chats a lot. And we occasionally... Well, Dan occasionally stops by. You are much like, more active. I grant you that. I yes, am much more enough. active. I find it. Yeah. It's it's a small but really lively and lovely community. Yeah. It's kind of taken on a life of its own. It makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, are, there are channels for food and cooking and music <laughs> in addition to discussion of zombie movies and other assorted sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And then, as I, I said uh, before starting this little uh, rant, you get special episodes. We just did a special episode about the Batman. <laughs> did I do that right? Dan, do you want to do it? I am vengeance. There you go. Yeah. We did a special episode about that. And we are going to be now releasing our monthly AMAs as audio for patrons. Mm-hmm. We did that for the first time this month and got really good feedback about it. And that's the other thing you get to do if you're a patron, Dan, is you get to attend our AMAs. Am I missing anything? I think that is pretty you obviously get early access to the podcast oh, themselves. Go. And yeah, there's there's swag and there's other things. And also you again will help fund Karen's dog in Kibble. Yeah. You will you will be providing Kibble Alwyn, you'll be writing Alwyn with Kibble yeah. and of course his future college education. We have fun stuff planned. Until then, Dan. Keep this channel open for more. 